Mollusca. Placozoa. Hello and welcome to Animalia, a podcast all about animals. And the weird and interesting things they do. I'm Annie. I'm Farley. That's David. Hello there. David is our audio wizard, so you won't hear from him much, but he's here. Every episode, we'll be chatting with scientists about a different topic, from the sex lives of insects to how animals survive the bright lights of big cities. On today's episode, we'll be talking about sleep. To learn how animals sleep, we talk to Dr. John Leskew, a sleep ecophysiologist at La Trobe University. Doctor, sounds pompous. John is researching the function and evolution of sleep. He has studied sleep in all kinds of different animals, including ostriches, crocodiles, rats, and flatworms. Yeah, I've always worked on sleep. I was trying to think about what to do for postgraduate work. Had no idea, you know. And uh, my sister, my oldest sister, she said, make sure it's different. Make sure it sets you apart from everybody else. And uh, I was living with a guy, Chris Hill and I look. Hi, Chris. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, he had very abnormal sleep patterns, so highly variable from day to day. In times he was like a vampire. Other times he was like a hibernating bear. And his sleeps would just go on forever. Absolutely shocking. You'd have to poke him because you'd think something happened. And uh, anyway, and so I then got interested in explaining how long Chris sleeps and why that might be. <laughs> and then, so, and you, then, so he was your first subject? Yeah, exactly. He was my first data point. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then that led into looking for a place where I could do the phylogenetic comparative studies of how long different mammals sleep. And it led directly from Chris's exceptionally bizarre sleep habits. So we caught up with John to ask him which animals sleep and how animals have evolved to sleep in weird or dangerous environments. Like, how did whales sleep when they need to keep going to the surface to breathe? And what about migratory birds that sleep while flying? To give you some background, I have no experience with sleep. I've never studied it. I've barely read about it, to be honest. But Annie is an expert. I don't know if I'd say expert, but <laughs> no, I have I have spent the last few years actually reading about sleep for my own research, um, which is partly about sleep. And John's actually my PhD supervisor, so we already have um, some background together. So Annie, how about we start with some basics? Yeah, so to understand how other animals sleep, we first need to be able to say what sleep is. And this can be trickier than it sounds. For humans, sleep is usually something that happens when we lie down, close our eyes, and don't move for many hours. But what about animals that can't lie down or that don't have eyelids or eyes? What about animals that need to keep moving, like whales that swim to the surface to breathe? And animals that hardly ever move at all, like the sloth? Scientists mostly agree that sleep has these key characteristics, which can be applied to most animals. One. During sleep, an animal is less responsive to its environment than when it's awake. Two, a sleeping animal can wake up quickly when disturbed. Take my family cat, for example. He might not hear you sweeping the floor, but if my sister starts playing the oboe, he is awake upstairs and hiding under the bed in less than a minute. Three, animals usually don't move much while they're sleeping, although there are some exceptions. Animals also often sleep in particular postures, which vary depending on the species. Four, 
Sleep is also associated with changes in brain activity, which can be recorded by an electroencephalogram, or EEG. We'll come back to this point later. And finally, sleep is homeostatically regulated. I'll let John explain. There's something in sleep research called sleep homeostasis. It just means that sleep is regulated. So if you lose sleep, you're going to do more of it. And if you sleep a lot, you're going to do less of it, right? And the way yeah. other physiological systems are regulated, you know, blood glucose. If it gets too low, your body pumps, puts more glucose into your blood and vice versa. And so animals can, if they're sleep deprived, they can sleep longer, but they can also sleep more deeply. So which animals do we know sleep? From ferrets to fish, from frogs to fruit flies, most of the animals that are currently popping into your head sleep. But is sleep shared across the animal kingdom? So do all animals sleep? Our current understanding is yes, but you know, this is, there's still probably tens of millions of animals that have not been studied. So we don't know. And even the majority of the types of animals, we don't know. So does a tardigrade sleep? Does a rotifer sleep? I don't know. Does a sponge sleep? We don't know answers to these questions. So quick summary was the longest sleeping animal. What sleeps the most? Yeah, it'd be a possum. There is data on a bat, but that data is a bit questionable. But yeah, possums are at the what, high like end. What possum? Like an American possum? American or? possums. Yeah, those ugly beasts. Those really, yeah, the weird rat, the gray rats. What's the shortest sleeping animal? Oh, it must be a horse or a cow. How long did they sleep for? Uh, two, three hours. And the American possum? American possum? 19, I suppose. Something like that. Yeah. Are those captive recordings, though? Uh, yeah, in the case of the horse and the cow, so this was derived from data based on electrophysiology or measures of brain activity, and uh, those were animals in the stable, the mm. natural habitat of a horse and a cow. <laughs> and the opossum was uh, was tethered to a computer in a small box, just mm. the natural habitat of a possum. A quick explainer here: this is a problem for most studies of sleep. Sleep is usually studied by recording brain activity, and until recently, it just wasn't possible to record brain activity in the wild. So animals have almost always been studied in the lab or some other captive environment, which can be very different to their natural environment. Imagine if someone recorded your sleep on an overnight flight and used that information to describe how you sleep at home. You wouldn't expect that to be a good representation, right? But until there have been more recordings of sleep in the wild, scientists rely mostly on data from captive animals. Yeah, yeah so you can imagine that if they're if the horse and the cow, then if they're actually out in the range, they sleep even less, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the thought is, is that these animals that sleep very little, uh, these animals also tend to be uh, large with relatively high metabolic rates. And the thought is that maybe these animals have to um, to forage more to offset the costs of their high metabolism. So they just have to, they have less time available for sleeping because they got to eat a lot. Would it be prey animals too, since they're both technically prey animals? Yeah, that's right. So things that sleep in the open, which is potentially dangerous yeah. environments, these animals also also sleep less. So there's two basic kinds of sleep. You know, there's the slow wave sleep or non-rapid eye movement sleep and then rapid eye movement sleep. That was just a dream, just a dream. Just a dream. Right context, wrong REM Farley. And although these animals can engage in non-rapid eye movement sleep while standing, they have to lay down to engage in REM sleep. If you're a cow laying down, I'm sure a predator is going to say, I bet you he's sleeping because he has no other reason to be laying down. 
then they're going to get hit. Yeah. But you cannot. So if you have your head up or say a horse is standing, there's no chance you can go into ram at that point. You need to be completely. Yeah. What, 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 like what body state then is required to go through REM? They have, um, so animals enter REM sleep through slow wave sleep. Uh, but during REM sleep, they lose muscle tone, skeletal muscle tone. Uh, okay. In this context, when John says the animals lose muscle tone, he means that their muscles relax. They're not actually losing muscle. So it seems to be incompatible with standing, yeah. Now, there are some animals that have maintained an ability to uh, uh, have some tone. A lot of birds do this. Although they have the two, the two same sleep states as mammals, they don't lose muscle tone during REM sleep, or it's not as profound. They have behavioral postural changes that reflect reduced muscle tone. The head falls forward, but, um, but it's not as profound as it is in mammals. Mammals really lose muscle tone during REM sleep. So I was going to say, I guess the birds have to maintain because they have to perch. So if you lose that, that was the, that was the thought. Just, yeah, that was the thought originally, but the, the tendons in the, particularly in songbirds, the tendons in their foot work in such a manner that they don't require tone. It's simply a function of their tendons. In videos of pigeons, you can sort sort of see them perching there and then like their whole body droops forward, but they don't lose their perch. Yeah, that cool. makes sense. That'd be really bad to lose a perch in the middle of the night. Yeah. To lose a perch off. in the middle of the night. And speaking about REM sleep being really dangerous, a particularly dangerous sleep state, because animals have to lay down, there is something that birds do um, in response to predation risk involving REM sleep, and that is if pigeons are if pigeons are um, forced to sleep on a low perch, presumably one that's more dangerous from the bird's point of view, then they have about half the REM sleep as a bird sleeping on a higher perch. Um, so. Like mammals, birds seem to recognize that REM sleep is a particularly dangerous sleep state, at least from an anti-predator point of view, and modulate the level of REM sleep accordingly. Would that be more stress, though? So they're stressed out because they're lower, so they know that they're higher risk of predators, and so they decide. It's like these, sure. like if we're, we have a test the next day, I'm afraid I'm going to sleep through it, so I think about it, horrible night of sleep. Mm. I may mm. actually never go into a full deep sleep, but instead constantly wake up over and over and over again. I mean, I think, yeah, I think the two are interchangeable. Like being being aware that you're more vulnerable to predators is necessarily quite thing. stressful as well. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So quick recap of what we've learned so far. As far as we know, all animals sleep, but there are so many that are still to be studied. In mammals, predators tend to sleep more than prey, especially prey animals that sleep out in the open and animals are potentially more vulnerable during some types of sleep than others. Next, the question that was stuck on Farley's mind. How does a bird sleep on the wing? It makes no sense to me. See, if, if you have these, say, the birds who are migrating, you have the plovers who migrate from here to Alaska. Yeah. And they, if they land in the water, they sink. You never see them again. So they have to continuously fly. But at some point, you think you'd have to rest, right? It's mm. up to a week on the wing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's certainly heaps of birds that have pretty Olympic flights. The mm. bar-tailed godwit is one of the champion like flyers. The champion, what is it, yeah. 13,000 kilometers in eight days from Alaska to New Zealand. And although they pass over oceanic islands, we know from GPS study they don't land. Yeah, uh, yeah. there's a few other things that, that do remarkable flights. Um, one that just came out in science this year was uh, great frigate birds, and they showed that they can fly for... Um, what is it up to 10 weeks? So it's two and a half months over the open ocean. But these are birds that, um, that are, so they're, they're seabirds, but they're really bad at being seabirds. So their preen oil has a low lipid content, which means that they can't alight on the water. 
if they land on the water, they become waterlogged and they drowned. So they can't, they derive all of their food from the ocean, but they can't touch it. So then how do you eat? <laughs> it's awful. It's a cruel, it's a cruel joke. So, um, so they rely entirely on aquatic subsurface predators like dolphins and tuna to chase prey to near the surface of the water or above the surface of the water in the case of flying fish and flying squid and things like this. And then they either catch the animals when they jump out of the water or they glean from the surface, you know, just insert the lower bill into the water and then fly very, very close to the water surface. Quite dangerous if a wave hits you, you know, you're done. But, uh, and then that's the way that they derive their food. And this is a really really patchy food resource though, right? Because it relies on the movements of predators under the water. So they have to forage long distances, thousands and thousands of kilometers. And if you're provisioning for a chick, you got to bring back a lot of food. Yeah. The parents have biparental care. One goes to forage for days, weeks at a time, and the other one just sits there on the nest fasting. And then they switch and uh, and take over. That's crazy. And um, and then the, the, the first confirmation of sleep and flight came from frigate birds. This was a separate uh, research group. Um, this time they published in Nature Communications. The other one was a GPS-based study in science. And they equipped animals with EEG recording electrodes and recorded um, brain activity of animals in flight over the ocean. They had GPS so they could confirm that, yes, these animals are over the ocean. They had accelerometry confirming that, yes, they are moving. And they had EEG to know what the brain is doing. And uh, the birds could do, yeah, they could sleep while flying. They could have bihemispheric non-REM sleep, similar to what we have when we're sleeping at night. They could have REM sleep during flight. Um keeping the wings outstretched and uh, they could also sleep unihemispherically uh, one half of the brain at a time. All it's all while flying. So all soaring, flying, obviously, yeah, right? Always during Would soaring. Would it be wing beat? So just be no, soaring. Always during soaring flight, not during flapping flight. You know, when a mammal goes into REM sleep, it's minutes or tens of minutes long. But when a bird does it, it's, it's rarely longer than 10 seconds. Okay. So it's a entirely different temporal scale. And so, yeah, perhaps they can, they can suffer uh, a few seconds of reduced muscle tone and then they come out of it. Now, even though the birds were capable of sleeping while flight, the amazing thing about the study was, is that they did it very little, less than one hour per 24 hour day, exceptionally small, low amounts of sleep. And then when they went back to the nest, they slept 13 hours. Presumably they were paying off a sleep debt that was incurred during the time over the water. Um, so really neat stuff. They can do it. Don't seem to like doing it though. Interesting. That's really cool. It also that. suggests that there's some. It also suggests that there's some kind of um, evolutionarily inescapable sleep function. You know that natural selection has not found a way to circumvent. Because if there was, then these birds would probably just evolve the ability to be sleepless. And yet we know of no animals that have evolved that ability. Besides horses and cows, what is the most sleepless animal? What is what can animals cope with? What can animals cope with? Uh, so frigate birds are, are probably close to the champions of being able to sustain wakefulness for long periods of time. And then, uh, pectoral sandpipers that are breeding in Alaska. So these are small shorebirds that, uh, migrate annually. Well, from around here as well, you know, the Victoria waiter study group go out and they catch sandpipers and, uh, and in Brazil and Argentina and uh, New Zealand, they migrate above the Arctic circle to breed and they've got three weeks to do so when they arrive, the males set up territories and they're exceptionally competitive for access to females. The males are promiscuous. So they want to meet with, mate with as many females as they possibly can during this short period of time. They've come a long way. 
Uh, the females, on the other hand, have a different idea. They, uh, they're going to have one clutch for that breeding season. And so they become exceptionally selective about with whom they mate. They want to mate with the best quality male possible. And uh, yeah, males aggressively compete with one another for access to females in an attempt to convince them to mate with them. And, uh, you know, you'd think that an animal that can reduce sleep in this environment would have a selective advantage that they could spend more time convincing females to mate with them and less time sleeping. And that's exactly what some of the males do is they become virtually sleepless during this time. So, uh, we went up and recorded not just activity patterns, but also brain activity of males, wild males on the tundra and found that some males could be active for more than 95% of the time for up to three weeks. So a pretty phenomenal and chronic, you know, period of sleep loss. And yet if you, not knocking you, but if you were to remain awake for three weeks and then tried to convince a female to mate with you, you'd probably be hard pressed. That'd be pretty easy. I don't know. You're good looking, looking, but I don't know. (laughs) You'd try to talk and I'm sure it would come out wrong. So if mammals relax their muscles when they go through REM, how do cetaceans keep swimming? Or do they never go through REM really? Are they REM less? There have been five different sleep studies done on cetaceans, which include uh, whales, dolphins, and porpoises. There's been probably one uh, sleep study done on each of those, a couple of different whales. And uh, only in one study, I think it was done on a juvenile pilot whale, did they find any signs of rapid eye movement sleep. It was one single episode, and they never found it again. And in all subsequent studies done on excitation, REM sleep was never seen. We can't really explain what that sleep state was observed in that one study on a juvenile pilot whale. So we, if we ignore that, the consensus seems to be that, that cetaceans don't have rapid eye movement sleep. I mean, a lot of uh, really big uh, whales will have logging behavior. So horizontal logging in the case of blue whales and humpback whales, where they just float motionless in the water. Sperm whales do something very similar, but they have vertical logging. Uh, this was captured spectacularly a few years ago with video, but also with, uh, accelerometers mounted by suction cups onto their back. And, uh, they, they looked at sperm whales from across the entire planet. It's not a population effect. It's every sperm whale. And for tens of minutes, every 24 hours, they bob up and down, uh, in the water, just, um, just floating basically in this particular study, a, a boat of researchers swam or swam sailed sailed a little bit. Yeah. sailed into this, uh, two very different things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm not a nautical man. So (laughs) I don't know. And, uh, they sailed into the center of this group of, of bobbing sperm whales and consistent with the idea that these animals were sleeping. The whales seemed oblivious to the boat until the boat gently tapped one. And then that whale responded rapidly, suggesting it, it woke up and that caused all the other animals to respond and swim away. So perhaps that vertical logging behavior is, um, is a correlate of sleep behavior in wild sperm whales. So another recap, animals have adapted their sleep to suit their other needs. When figure birds need to keep flying, they can sleep on the wing. When male sandpipers need to court females, some hardly sleep at all. And somewhere along the way, whales might have lost REM sleep. But as far as we know, there are no animals that have evolved to lose sleep altogether. 
So, while there have recently been massive strides in sleep research, there's still so much we don't know. As John said before, we still don't even know whether all animals sleep. Why would that be so hard to find out? I think it's not hard to find out. I think it's just for a lack of interest that there are few comparative sleep researchers in the world. Aside from me and Annie, well, we probably represent a third. You know, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um... So, yeah, it's probably not lack of interest. It's just lack of time. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Most ecology. Yeah. I mean, I would love to to start going through systematically looking at some of these neglected animal groups for which we have zero sleep data and seeing what these beasts do. For sure, I have a lot of interest in this. I had an honor student that was working on the flatworms, on the platyhomenthes. That was work that we did, and she did this behavioral assay to see whether they meet this this sort of agreed upon definition for what sleep is, at least as a behavior. She also did some pharmaceutical, pharmacological manipulations, giving them melatonin, a hormone that promotes sleep in mammals and birds and fruit flies. Is that true? Fruit flies? Don't don't recall. Zebrafish. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to promote sleep as well in, in flatworms. So that could, be, that could be a cool, that's going to be a very cool PhD than just going through and just doing the rest of them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing like to, how much more there is to do. I'd like to get somebody working on it. And after the flatworm stuff, I think that there's a real need for this type of data because, you know, I'm, I'm curious actually to know what, what the majority of sleep researchers think. Do people think that sleep evolved once and has persisted without exception over evolutionary time? Or do they think that sleep evolved multiple times? My point of view is that there is insufficient evidence to gravitate towards any explanation. We just don't know what we don't know at this point. Or do we? No, we know what we don't know. Do we? We do. (laughs) (laughs) I guess another thing too is that a lot of this sleep research can be a bit technically challenging. So it's all very well to say, yeah, well, let's just find out if jellyfish sleep. But I think in John's experience that isn't necessarily as simple as it sounds. Yeah, let's go look at the jellyfish room. <laughs> it's it, do, it, do, it sounds so simple. It's so weird to me, and I know it's not, but that sounds, especially with jellyfish, you feel like there's such an easy subject to deal with. What? Doesn't it? I've been working on jellyfish for two years. You have? The next room, the room beside this one is filled with jellyfish. Seriously? Yeah. Any tours of these things? I love jellyfish. Yeah, go on and take a look. We'll wait. I've seen stick bugs. I don't know if I've seen jellyfish. Ten minutes later. (laughs) (laughs) So you're you're trying to figure out sleep in jellyfish at this point? Yeah. You just can't figure it out? Uh, I'm just just curious. No, look, this is just logistical problems is that we've had two rather impressive tank failures, one of them catastrophic. And now my lab is waterproof, so that is good. Uh, (laughs) But you'll notice that there's a new carpet in this room. That was because of the first tank that went. And uh, yeah, aren't they terrible to house? They're awful. Yeah, they're awful to keep. Now, I will tell you, I will tell you what we do know about inactivity in jellyfish. So in 2004, Jamie Seymour at um, James Cook University in uh, Cairns, he uh, was doing GPS studies of box jellyfish, Kiranex flecari, the most venomous animal in the world. And uh, so he was trying to see how these animals move. And he found that for several hours during the late afternoon, these animals would fall out of the water column and lay immobile on the substrate. 
He then dove down and shone a torch into their eyes. And uh, these are called ropalia around the bell margin. And he shined a torch into their or into their eyes and they would not re-enter the water column immediately. They seemed sluggish and reluctant to do so. And But eventually with sufficient stimulation, he could get them back into the water column and then they would settle again when he left. So he interpreted this to be that the jellyfish are sleeping. Subsequent to that, uh, in 2012, a different group of researchers looked at two other species of box jellyfish. Uh, They looked at them in the wild and they looked at them in the lab and found that they too had a immobile, ostensibly sleep-like period of inactivity. Uh, The patterning was different. One of them was during the day. One of them was during the night. But they still did it. So this raised the question that, well, maybe this sleep-like state is common amongst jellyfish, and indeed, maybe it is sleep. So we thought, well, we'll contribute to this. We'll figure it out. So we, uh, Lynn Lee, an exceptionally talented former honor student, went to James Cook and thought, we'll work on Kiranex Fleckeri and do this behavioral assay to find out if this inactivity reflects sleep. Unfortunately, that year there were none in the environment, so we had to settle for a different species of box jellyfish, Kiropsella bronzii. It was a new, a, a new species that had yet to be studied, but it was a box jellyfish. We brought them into captivity, and none of the animals did the sleep-like behavior. <sighs> So we thought, well, how can three species do it in captivity as well and in the wild, and yet ours does not? So then this questioned the idea that this was a sleep behavior, because surely they would all do it then. Uh, So we wanted then to work on moon jellyfish here, built the tanks in the lab, thought this would be quite easy because they're available locally. And then, uh, then I just started taking a lot of paracetamol, and we've had very little success since then. Not long after our interview with John, researchers at Caltech published the first ever study showing evidence of sleep in jellyfish. I think one of my favorite things that happened with the jellyfish as an outsider who has no emotional investment in this project at all is that you got the really tiny jellyfish. They were meant to be big jellyfish, but all you could get were really, really tiny ones that were very, very expensive. So, and you also got little shrimp that were meant to indicate whether water has cop- too much copper. copper. Yeah, copper. too much copper. Yeah. And then the tiny jellyfish, yeah. well, they couldn't deal with the current in yeah. the tank, and so they'd wash over the back of the tank into the bit where the shrimp were, and the shrimp ate them. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was spectacular. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it is almost funny. <laughs> well, I just like that when I've, said this, not knowing that you worked with jellyfish. I'm like, yeah, it should be really easy. And your thoughts were like, yeah, it should be really easy. It should be. This has been seriously educational. Thank you for doing this. I enjoy everything about it, actually. It's always nice. I've never met you before, but you're charming. Very. Thank you. This has been the pilot episode of Animalia. Please like, share, and subscribe to hear more weird facts about animal behavior. Thanks for listening. Bye.